This was the most asked question I had about heaven. It was, uh, yeah, it's interesting. To, and as, as you look through uh, the text, there's actually quite a bit in here about that. Um, sometimes we can't always land the plane exactly uh, where we want. But the question, the main question we'll hit at the very end, it's a subset of this, but uh, will there be animals on the new earth? And to get, uh, you probably, if you were listening to the children's sermon, you probably already know the answer. But again, why do we believe that? Uh, the, uh, each one of us can say, well, I would like it, you know, but I, there's a lot of things I might like that don't happen. So, um, so we're going to, um, uh, Isaiah 11 is kind of the quintessence. We're going to be in Isaiah here for a little bit. We'll head to the end of the Psalms if you want to flail with me. And a lot of the verses will be on the screen. But this is one we, we probably know. Again, Isaiah kind of bops around between the time period of Isaiah, which was in the 8th century B.C. Uh, but also he goes forward, and sometimes it's tough to know, is he talking about the Messiah time, like in Isaiah 52, 53, or is he talking about the new heaven and new earth. This seems to be the new heaven and new earth. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. It talks about the cow and the lion and even a cobra. Uh, and I think in verse 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water cover the sea. So this is a this is a future new heaven, new earth um, that he hits really hard. Later in Isaiah chapter 65 and 66, again, you get the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain. Again, re reiterating that, that's why we know probably chapter 9 is also new heaven and new earth. And you think about it, God created these beings, right? Um, he made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. I mean, that's very common in, in Genesis 1. Um, so it appears there's going to be animals. Um, but this is a question you, you may have thought. Um, do animals have souls? Well, we have to define what a soul is, right? Uh, uh, the, the Hebrew word is nephesh uh, for soul. Uh, back in Genesis 2, and we've talked about this, it, most of the Bible is talking about how a person is made up and what, that's the songs we sing, right? We sing about our salvation and, and our sanctification because that's what the Bible is about. Um, but there are other things in here. There are other beings. We've talked about them, you know, angels, and, and what about them and their souls and, and then animals. You know, if you go back to Genesis 2, which is a, kind of help you know Genesis 1 is the big picture and then Genesis 2 kind of goes back and drills down in that day six uh, and, and figures out what's going on in there then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground so so far we've got what dirt and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature so what is it that changed the dirt to make him alive? It was the breath of life. And here it's, you know, the Lord God, he breathes into the nostrils. There's such a cool way of looking at That's what makes a living soul. It's, a lot of times you'll see that, the breath of life. You see this 
during Noah's time. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. So a soul is essentially a breath of life, the, the, the animated by the Spirit. We'll look at a psalm that shows us that. So do they have souls? Yes, I think they do. Um, I wonder what Ellie was dreaming about when she's kind of going like that. You know, something's going on in the mind of the dog. Uh, but they're not human souls, and this is a key, right? We're not trying to equate these two. We've got all kinds of, I suppose, well-meaning people in the world that try to say we're just, you know, we're just animals that have a little smarter. And there's days I wonder. <laughs> but is that what the Bible teaches? Again, you know, we talked about that. We had that sermon series a couple years ago on having a biblical worldview. How does the Bible look at us? Do we, are we just semi-smart animals? No, there's something different here. There, and we'll look at that a little deeper in just a minute. But God does care for the animals, right? And he uses animals. If you remember, there's some really interesting uh, texts in the Bible. If you remember back in 1 Kings, Elijah was needing some food. And in, in chapter 19, he actually gets fed by angels, which would be really cool too. Uh, but here at Ravens bring food. I won't go into it. Ravens are interesting birds. They're actually quite bright. Um, and then you always wonder, we always read Jonah from the perspective of Jonah. Well, what about the fish? I mean, the fish comes and swallows this guy. I mean, that could have been fun. Having Jonah in your belly for three days. I mean, you've had that where you've eaten a little too much, you know. <laughs> Eventually, he did get a spitting back out. But God's using the animals. And then the one that I really like and I, I want to go to is Numbers 22. Um, Numbers is, I don't, I, I don't really know why they, I know they, why they call it Numbers. I don't know why they started that. Um, the reason they call the book Numbers is because there's a couple senses in there. But when you think about it, you know, I, I was a math major in college, so I look at it and I'm like, well, this might be pretty cool, Numbers. It's really a bad name for the book. You know what the Hebrew name is? Bar Midvar, in the wilderness. Numbers tells about what goes on with the Israelites while they're in the wilderness. It's really kind of got some really cool accounts in there about how God sustained them. But nothing better than Balaam's donkey. Uh, I'm going to start back a little bit here. This is just an interesting uh, account you notice I'm not using the word story because I, I, I just don't want us to think that this, it's like Aesop's fables story. Once upon a time, there was a donkey, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, those are cool. They're great for bedtime. But this is an account. I mean, this is put. So I like the word 22. But God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey. And his two servants were with him. So you got this prophet who wasn't supposed to leave, is heading where he's not supposed to go. A little bit of Jonah going on there. Um, and he's got two servants with him. And there's an angel there. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with the drawn sword in his hand. Did you catch that? What's the angel have in his hand? 
Is it one of those cute little Cupid cards? You know, most of these angels you wouldn't want to wouldn't want to fight. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. If you ever walk your dog and they're going off, you never know what they might be seeing. Probably not. But uh, Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards and a wall on either side. So you can picture that, hopefully. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the left or the right. So it's like kind of hanging out on the road, eventually a little narrower. And it's now it's like, dude, you can't get past now. Um, and then this is so interesting how this goes. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam and Balaam's anger was kindled. and He struck it with a staff and the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Now, when I'm reading this the first time, I'm like, open the eyes of Balaam. But no, let's start with a donkey mouth. I just think this is just like him. And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sworn in my hand for I would kill you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Balaam, I might just say, did you just say something? <laughs> I mean, maybe you did, and it's not recorded, but it's just, it's, just, it's an interesting account. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes, and he sees the angel. So it's just an interesting, God uses a, a donkey, and you, get, you can get a lot of great metaphors out of this if you're ever debating somebody, you know. I heard one debate where the one person said, it's not the first, you know, when the person gets up, gives this eloquent speech, the guy didn't agree with it at all. And, and he used the, the, the donkey word that starts with an A. <laughs> and, and he says, well, now we have the second time where a donkey opened his mouth and talked, you know. It's kind of a good, <laughs> a good way to do it. But you see, in this case, the animal saved the life of, in, in, of, of Balaam. And you've got a lot going on. We're not going to go too far on this, but um, did God give the donkey some sort of cognition there that he didn't have before? I don't know. He seemed to already, she seemed to already have some. So there's something going on here. We'll hit that toward the end too. But in Exodus 20, this is one of the Ten Commandments. You know, the, the six days do your ordinary work. Seventh day is a Sabbath day, which was yesterday, if you didn't know that. Um, but look at that. Don't do any work, even your livestock. You know, they're included in the Sabbath, which is kind of cool. Um, and so, and then you go how God used lambs. You know, you go back to Exodus 12. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. You know, the lamb, and, and, and us as Christians, I mean, it just makes, it almost makes your, the hair on your your arms stand up, and it's just like, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. In fact, John the Baptist in John 1, very first thing he says when Jesus comes on the scene, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, if you're just a 21st century American that doesn't know anything about Judaism, you might not know, well, why is he calling him that? But if you're a Jewish person and you hear that, you know what he's talking about. 
So we have animals used in, in different ways. And then if you, if you want to go, to, to, there's a couple psalms where we, we see this quite pointedly. Uh, I don't know if you know how the Psalter, as they call it, is, is set up. But at the end of the Psalter are all these praise psalms. Uh, 143 on, it, it, a lot of, of praise. Uh, so if you go, it, it says, you know, it talks about everything in verse 10. Beast and all livestock, creeping things, praise the Lord. You know, and maybe that's metaphoric where, where the, the animals are just, you know, you know, praising the Lord and, you know, do it in good ways and in bad ways. <laughs> Make sure you're still awake. <laughs> and then in 150 verse 6 is the one we all know. Everything praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The idea of... We already did that today. Did you hear that? You know, we, we said the word. We know this word, right? These are called Halil Psalms. Halil Yah. Hallelujah. You've said that word, right? What's hallelujah mean? Praise God. <laughs> That's why we say it. You know, they've got uh, a lot of them at the end. If you're ever, <coughs> excuse me, down, you know, we've talked about different ways to pray. The four main ways to pray or Excuse me. Thanksgiving, asking for things, supplication, confession, and praise. But I don't know about you. Sometimes I don't feel like praising God. Um, I mean, sometimes we don't. I mean, our emotions sometimes go to the end of the Psalter and just read them. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm just trying to butter him up. But I think, again, Go ahead and pray thee. Because we know we should, right? We know we should praise God. It's easy to praise God when we're in good mood, right? It's a little harder when we're not. Um, and then in Revelation, we have these things called living creature. It's got that cool Greek word, zoon. Uh, and it, everywhere else this is translated, it's always translated animal. It says, I heard every creature in heaven... That's your normal word for creature. And on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessed, blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures, that's your Zoom, said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped them. We don't know exactly what these things are. There's four of them. With the 24 elders, they fall down and worship God. But it could be translated animals, some sort of animal that... Uh, is really smart. Heck, maybe these are donkeys. I don't know. Probably not. Uh, but th th it's in there. You've got this idea of these living creatures, and I, I, that's probably a, a pretty good translation. So we know animals are used. We know animals God cares for. We know animals that God wants to make sure get taken care of. They're even in, in the Ten Commandments to, to take care of them. And Romans 8 kind of has this indirectly on what Jesus did for the animals or for creation. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons to redemption of our bodies. That's kind of a sum up of what we've been talking about in this heaven series. That eventually your, 
You die at this point. If you believe, you go to heaven. Um, and that's where the chart comes in, right? They're out there. Um, this is important. We're not saying that animals, you know, like my dog's going to heaven and your dog's going to hell. You know, that's, that's not what we're saying. Um, although that may be true. I, I'm, I'm not saying that. Uh, we're not talking about animals. They have their own souls. They're not moral beings, but you are. When Jesus died on the cross, who was he directly dying for? That's what we have. That's a question everybody should ask. You know, we look at this, you know, and I changed that over. It used to say, when we die, it's like I want to make a little more personal. When you die, because I, this is only the first part of the chart. If you go down, you can, there's still some out there. I printed a few more. You get two, everybody's going to have one of two things happen to them if the Bible's correct. And we're assuming that it is because we think we have good evidence for that. You either die or the, Jesus comes back. That's your two possibilities. If you want the Jesus come back, read the rest of the chart. Um, but when you die, there's a judgment of faith. We're moral beings. We know right from wrong. We know what God is honored by, and we know what God is not honored by. And how do we know that? How do we know what honors God? We just kind of guess? Or how, how it makes you feel, right? No, God wrote a lot of stuff down. And he gave us a lot of instruction. And it really comes down to, in our culture, do we believe it's true or not? And our day and age, it's, it's very out of the cultural norm to see the Bible as actually completely true. Um, here we try to teach and let people know why we believe that. There's good evidence for that. There's good evidence that we have what God intended us to have. There's good evidence that what we have is uh, accurate and true. Because we can, why do we have a chart? Like, Why do we say when you die, you have a judgment of faith? If you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven. If you don't believe in Jesus, you go to hell. Do we just like that? Or do we get that from somewhere? There are some verses there. There's just, just some represented. We, the Ephesians 2 1 is the one you are saved by grace through faith, not of your own doing, and is a gift of God. We just sang the song. We are saved by, come on, grace alone. Come on, come on, everybody join in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's grace alone, meaning how much other stuff is it? Yeah, not by works. A little bit farther on in Ephesians 2. It's not hard, folks. Whether you like it or not is up to you. <laughs> That's the thing. Jesus was clear. The New Testament is clear on how Jesus and the apostles believed that you come into the family of God. How you end up in heaven and not in hell. That's not hard. The Bible's very clear. Because you're a moral being. Now, you can say, I don't like it. It's up to you. I mean, that's the thing, you know. There's a line in the Nativity movie where Mary, who is pregnant, you remember how she got pregnant? It's kind of an odd way to get pregnant. Holy Spirit came upon her. I think that happened once so far. Probably won't happen again. 
Well, she's before her, this is the movie, she's before her parents and they're trying to figure it out. And she tells them that the Holy Spirit, the angel came at that point in this particular scene, Joseph hadn't got his dream yet. So they're all kind of a little bit worried, wouldn't you? But I love her line. And it's extra biblical, but it's, it fits the Bible really well. She gave them, she said, what I've told you is true. Whether you believe it or not is up to you. You weren't going to tell her that this didn't happen to her because she knew it was true. She was first person eyewitness to it, right? And that's what you get in the Bible. Who do we have writing these books? Eyewitness accounts. They're all eyewitness accounts. It's either an apostle or an associate. An apostle writes everyone. Now, people can say they don't agree with them, that they, were, they had agendas. You can do whatever you want with that. But even the, the, the most atheist biblical scholar out there knows that we have the text that we're supposed to have. There's too darn much evidence for it. So this, just this chart right here, in some, on some countries, I would be in jail for even putting a chart like this out. Thank God this country's not one of them. But it's not ambiguous on what the Bible says. We are moral beings. They are not. Animals are not moral beings. They are, they, you know, my dog doesn't have to make a decision for Jesus. But we do, because that's what the scriptures teach. I, I hope you've hit that. And, and again, the current heaven, we've talked, that was the first set of, of, uh, of our series. But you know, now we're looking at the, the final heaven. But Psalm 104 is, again, another good a lot of good things in the psalm about animals and, and things like it. Uh, but you, you look at that. This is provision. You know, in wisdom you've made all these creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both great and small. And it goes on and on, and you can read it on your own. The idea that God makes provision for all of these. You know, I, I read an article that talked about, you know, we, what we don't know about space. It's like, we don't know that much about our oceans. Every time they dive deep, they find something new. And these creatures are just amazing. You know, I always wonder, did God sit there and it's like, well, let's try this. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Which makes me think, will extinct animals live on the new earth? Will we have dodo birds? Or that toad they were worried about in California. Or, you know, the big ones. The mammoths and the pterodactyls and all those types of things. You know, we won't be under the curse anymore. So I think it's, he created them originally, right? It makes sense maybe he would do it again. That would seem the best inference. But this was the question, and we'll end with this, that was really what people ask. And it's not just kids that ask this question. Will our pets be restored on the new earth? That's a good question. Were our pets, now, now we're not talking about, you know, maybe uh, just animals in general. This is just an aside, but it comes to mind, and I've got to be careful doing that. But anyway, um, if you could have a pet that wouldn't kill you, I have to preface that. What would you choose? I don't know. I think a tiger would be cool. Especially one that talked. 
excuse me, but this about pets is not, it's a common question. I don't think it's silly. Um, I know it can get a little carried away, I realize that. Um, where people can be, <coughs> I have to be careful how I say this. Um, we can have a little bit too much care for the pet. Um, but animals, although not as valuable as people, God has caused them to, to touch many people's lives. You know, I don't know about you. I look around, I know some of you have pets. But I mean, sometimes it's just like, don't tell me that this animal isn't important. You know, and that's why people ask the question, right? When you have a dog or a cat or a turtle, I don't know, uh, that dies that you care about, is that, am I going to see that again? It, usually it's a kid question, but it's also an adult question because they mean something to us. So, if we look at them, in Matthew 7, if you remember, is the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you know, even you who are evil give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to you? So we look at it as a gift. Although just a word of warning to you younger ones, don't give a puppy as a gift. Unless you're willing to take care of it. You know, it's, uh, it's so cute. You know, puppies are so cute. But they literally poop everywhere. And you just really got to make sure you're there with them and it's just like, chew on everything. They're cute as the Dickens, but they're a handful. Uh, but again, if we look at them as a gift, God might even create new animals or bring some back some specific ones. And I want to read you a couple quotes from, well, actually three quotes. One from John Wesley, it's pretty short. And he really got into this a lot. I don't know if you know John Wesley. He was an uh, Anglican uh, minister in England and came over and uh, start, he started a church movement uh, with circuit riders. He rode a horse a lot. Maybe that's why he was thinking about all this stuff. Um, but uh, the Methodist church would be, or Wesleyan churches, a very, very good, wonderful uh, theologian and preacher. But he said this, something better remains after death for these poor creatures that these likewise shall one day be delivered from the bondage of corruption. He's kind of going back to Romans 8 there and shall then receive an ample amends for all their present sufferings. I mean, he even talked about the dog that's treated horrible because the owner is horrible will have some sort of redemption. And you, know, because, and you could do what you want with that, but I, I think that's kind of, it would be like God to do that. But the two that I really liked were the, the ones by C.S. Lewis and Joni Erickson. Uh, C.S. Lewis, if you... Uh, and I, I know rhetorical questions are hard in e-free churches. If it was Baptist, you'd all put your hands up. Pentecostal, I couldn't get you to come down. But how many have read like or seen the movie of Chronicles of Narnia? Is that something you guys, some know? Some This, this is fiction, um, C.S. Lewis wrote. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, he has the animals talk. You know, there's Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. You've got all these different things going on, and, then, and they're quite intelligent, and if you don't like the books, you can certainly watch the movies. They've made a few of them anyway. And this is what, he, now this was interesting. He's talking about pets here. It seems to me possible that certain animals may have an immortality, not in themselves, but in the immortality of their masters. I've never thought of that before I read that. That his thought is that the pets will come alongside us because they're our pet. 
I've actually used this for kids. And I don't say I know, because I don't. Because I don't want to tell a kid, yeah, Fluffy will be there. And then I die, and they die, and I'm like, Pastor, there was no Fluffy. You lied to me. So I'm not going to say I know, but it's possible. That's what he says. It seems possible that certain animals, very few animals indeed in their wild state, attain to a self or an ego. But if any do, and if it is agreeable to the goodness of God that they should live again, their immortality would also be related to man, not this time to individual masters, but to humanity. So he's kind of making a case for that. Um, because you got to be so careful with that, don't you? You don't want to tell a kid something's going to happen when it's not. You know, I'm, you know, past it, and I've had this happen. It, it's kind of tear jerking. A little girl coming up and with tears in her eyes saying, "My cat died." And I'm not going to sit there and say, "Well, they're just animals. They don't have human souls. They're not moral." Get the chart. You want to have some compassion. But I also don't want to say, oh, yeah, I'm sure they're there. You probably, you know. I mean, but again, you can make some, some good inference. And then Joni Erickson. Do you know Joni Erickson? Tada, she's the one had that, uh, she was an Olympic diver, I think, or swimmer. Uh, not in the Olympic ship, but very good. And 17, 18 years old, jumps into a lake that is much more shallow than she thought and severs her spine. And she's been a quadriplegic for 40-some years and has a, a really good ministry. One of her best books I've ever read is called When God Weeps. And it, here you have, you know, if I set up here and tell you that no matter what you go through in your life and suffer, God will be with you, I hope you listen because we all go through stuff. But if somebody wheels out with her head, because that's the only thing she can move, and tells you how much God loves her and how much God's with her and how much God cares about her, even though she has not been healed of her illness. And then she says things like, I know I'll be able to run eventually. You'll listen a little bit more. And she says this about pets. If God brings our pets back to life, it wouldn't surprise me. It would be just like him. It would be totally in keeping with his generous character, extravagant in grace after grace of all the dazzling discoveries and ecstatic pleasures of heaven will hold for us. The potential of seeing Scrappy, which must have been her cat, would be pure whimsy, utterly joyful, surprisingly superfluous. Heaven is going to be a place that will reflect and refract in as many ways as possible the goodness and joy of our great God who delights in lavishing love on his children. I thought that was, that was well put. And so is it okay to get, grieve a pet's death? I think so. I think it's okay. And they mean something to you. I mean, it's, there's just something about these breath of life. Um, our love of them often honors God. So what might God have planned for the animals in the new earth? Well, John Wesley thought that the animals originally had greater understanding, wills, liberty, and passion, and choice before the fall. Again, Wesley had some really interesting things to write about this. Um, and C.S. Lewis wondered they could, they could or will talk in some way. And we've got examples. We've got the donkey that talked. Is that normal? Anybody have a donkey? And then in Revelation 18, then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on earth at the blast of other trumpets and the angels are about to blow. And that may be metaphoric, but again, you have an eagle talking, which is, is very, very possible. Um, 
really what it comes down to is this is one of the things that we're going to have to put on the mystery burner. Um, like Joni Erickson Tada said, this, it does seem like God that he would lavish us with these creatures that are just wondrous to look at. And maybe in the new heaven and the new earth we'll get to experience animals and new animals in ways that we had never thought of. And I hope that helps your imagination go. But remember, they're not moral beings and you are. Because no matter what we talk about, what questions we try to answer in this heaven series, the number one question you have to ask, what happens when I die? And we need to, to give the answer that Jesus gave. No one comes to the Father except by me, but you can come to me, and I will give rest for your soul, and through me you will have eternal life by grace alone. Let us pray. Fathers, we think about uh, animals, pets, uh, beings uh, that you created, and it was good. Uh, we know in this fallen world uh, there is a lot of death, but we see from your word that that will not continue in the new heaven and the new earth. So as we look into animals and try to understand exactly how that might work, may we just remember the wonder and grace and creativity that you have. Be thankful for what you give us and always have our eyes on your son in whose name we pray. Amen.